Thank you, ladies. Thank you, band. Church, if you would, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Genesis, very first book of the Bible. You ain't got to look real hard for it. We're going to pick up in chapter 39 today. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Matt Warren was here with us last week speaking on missions and some opportunities that he's got. So two weeks ago, we had left off in chapter 37, picking up on the life of Joseph. And here's a few things that we got up to this point. Joseph has a lot of brothers. He's got 11 brothers, but he is deemed the favorite of all of them. He can do no wrong within the his father's eyes. His father's name is Jacob, but so much so that Jacob, he's not quiet about it. Typically, if you've got the favorite kid or if you are the favorite kid, mom and dad are going to try and play it a little bit slick, like, oh, we don't play favorites. But everybody and their brother knows who the favorite is, and there's no real denying it. But no, no, no. Jacob goes even further. He's pretty out and about open on who the favorite is. It is Jacob, no more so expressed than when he is given, when Joseph is given the coat of many colors. This was to show outright that he is the one that will gain the inheritance. He is the favorite. He's the one that will carry on the family lineage. Now, obviously what happens, this makes Joseph the target of the rest of his brothers. But Joseph is also given these dreams that he goes and tells his brothers. We said that wasn't a great idea. But he goes and tells his brothers, hey gang, listen, I believe that I got this dream and it shows you and the rest of the family and mom and dad bowing down to me like I'm the one that's greater than everybody else. Now, two weeks ago, obviously his brothers don't take this very well, and their anger boils over where finally they are scheming to put Joseph to death. They have finally had enough of him that to the point where they are going to kill off their brother. Well, they back off of that just a little bit. Instead, they're going to throw him into a pit, and then they dig him out of the pit, and they say, no, we're going to sell him to some Ishmaelites. They sell him into slavery. Now, one of our main focuses from a couple weeks ago was remembering that we can perform actions that we deem to be right. But if we perform them with the wrong motive, it doesn't matter. Proverbs 16.2 tells us, All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. Also, we learn that in the middle of the worst crises in the life of Joseph, God was still present. God was still moving, even in the worst possible storm, for His glory and for His will to be done. And just wait. This isn't the end of it. There's still plenty more to go. So we also said a couple weeks ago that a life-changing prayer that we could pray now would be recognizing that in the darkness of whatever situation we may be in, if we were the ones to ask God, God, change us amidst our circumstances for your good and for your glory and for us to follow through with that change. What a life-changing prayer that would be. Today, we'll continue to see, partially, how God is the conductor in the great story of Joseph. But that doesn't mean that all things are going to be rosy and sweet and in the way that we want. Last time we met, we talked about Reuben. 
in chapter 35 of Genesis, we didn't read it, but Reuben had had an improper, inappropriate relationship. And then in verse in chapter 38, we see, we're skipping over it, but Judah, also another brother, both brothers of, of Joseph, had also had an inappropriate relationship. These events are supposed to lead us into today, chapter 39, where we will see how Joseph's character is upheld compared to his, their, his brothers. Now, though his character, though his integrity is better than his brothers, it does not mean that his situation or his circumstances are better than his brothers. And that is why for today, our title is Character Assassination. Character Assassination. Are you familiar with that phrase, character assassination? What does that mean? The malicious or unjustified harming of a person's good reputation. Or put another way, a deliberate, sustained effort to tear down a person's good standing. Well, how does somebody do this? Well, it could be propaganda. It could be libel. It could be slander. It could be, just be good old gossip. It doesn't matter. But you can attempt to tear down a person through many means. And this is what we're going to see with the life of Joseph today. So after all that, we're going to pick up in chapter 39, verse 1, and we find Joseph in favor, but an unfavorable place. Favor in an unfavorable place. We're going to go down to verse 6. We'll put it down, then we'll pick it back up again. But follow along with me. Chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now pick up on this. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Let's pray together. Oh God, every person in this room right now as I pray to You, Lord, is in a circumstance, is in a situation, is mulling something over in their mind. More than likely, they're in a situation they don't want to be in. Oh God, as we read of Joseph, as we see Your favor upon him, but also, Lord, the future events that will take place, oh God, right on our hearts, that in every situation, you are in control. Nothing takes you by surprise. Lord, bend us to surrender to your will, regardless of circumstances. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Now, for the first time that we've been discussing the life of Joseph, these verses act, say specifically for the first time that the Lord is present. Now, it doesn't mean that He wasn't in any of the other chapters that we talked about, but it explicitly states that the Lord is with Joseph, that the Lord showed favor upon Joseph, that the Lord showed favor upon Potiphar and Potiphar's household. It wants you to know, hey, in case you forgot, the Lord is present in this situation. What you dealing with today? Guess what? The Lord is present in your situation. Now, Joseph, we know, was put in a horrible situation by being sold into slavery, and God immediately took lemons and made lemonade out of it. How sweet. Oh, that was great. Now, Joseph quickly finds favor with Potiphar, this Egyptian pagan who God also shows favor to because of Joseph, but we see his sovereignty. We had a Sunday school class talking sovereignty of God today. Here it is. We see it. A pagan man who knows nothing of this one monotheistic God, the God of Israel, yet God is showing favor upon him. Why? Because God has a purpose for doing it. Now, we see this take place, how God had ordained for Joseph to be in this place, in this time, in the presence of Potiphar. And what does Potiphar do? He gives Joseph authority over his entire household. How nice would it be if the only decision that you had to make on a daily basis was what you're going to eat next? Because that's where Potiphar is. The only thing Potiphar had to worry about was what his next meal was going to be. Amen. That sounds great. That also shows just how much power Joseph is given in this household. He becomes successful because Joseph is successful. Now, if we left the story right there, it would be such the sweet, happy ending. We would see this character arc almost completed. You had Joseph in the bad beginning with his brothers, and you had all the malicious ideas that the brothers had towards him. And man, remember what God meant for, or what men meant for evil, God meant for good. So here are his brothers. They're going to kill him. Then they sell him into slavery. And now all of a sudden we see this horrible situation turn so nice because Joseph is in such a great place. But we don't end there. Matter of fact, we've just started. What does this teach us? Just in the first six verses, it's a reminder that success is fleeting. It is temporary. As soon as you are on top of the world, it could all come crashing down. And just because you are following God, following the will of God, look at me, success is not guaranteed. Never. Especially when God's plans are greater, when God's plans are perfect, it does not mean that this is going to stay this way forever. We've also got to make sure that we stay, we stay on guard against this thought process. Because if we had the thought process of, I'm doing what God wants me to do, so that means that nothing bad will happen to me in the process. How bad is that theology? I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I know that He is going to bless me and give me whatever I want. Folks, if I start preaching that, you need a new preacher. That's not what we learn here. That's not faith. That's not surrender. That is a conditional relationship. God, I will follow you as long as nothing bad happens to me. Thankfully, this is not the type of faith that Joseph has. As we prepare to dig into what happens to Joseph next. I want to prepare you, moms and dads especially, 
I know this language of verses 7 through 15. These themes are uncomfortable. And I promise you, I'm not going to use any language that's outside of Scripture. Might even bring up some questions from your kiddos. And if it does, make sure you reach out to Jake Fowler. That's J-A-K-E. But I want to encourage you. We know how the world works. We know how information travels. If your children are in this room, okay, we believe that they are old enough for you to at least begin having conversations like these. Because if we don't have them in rooms like this and in Sunday school classes, the world will teach them these themes that are uncomfortable. And we don't want that to happen. Now, it's crazy, I know, but it's also a crazy world that we live in. So I want to encourage you, again, that as parents, you are the chief disciplers of your household. It's you that needs to make sure you steer the course of conversation where it needs to go. And as far as us as a church and a staff, we will assist you. And you're the one that's got to take charge. So with that, we begin part two, target. Joseph becomes a target. Let's begin reading in verse 7. We'll go down to 15. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he, he, has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? Don't miss that. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by the garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, My husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. Oh boy. Because Joseph is a good-looking dude, he becomes the target of Potiphar's wife. And though we didn't read it, this is where it becomes so important important to know the background of the inappropriate relationships of Reuben and Judah. Because now we get to contrast Joseph's integrity with those stories. Joseph keeps his honor. Joseph respects and keeps the honor of his master. Joseph keeps and respects the honor of his master's wife, even though it's his master's wife that's trying to ruin her own reputation. We don't think about it like this. But he keeps that honor, even though she's the one making the proposition. It all sounds well and good, but who is it that Joseph is truly trying to honor and glorify? We just read it. 
He says, beyond you and your family. Yes, there are consequences to that. But I cannot sin against God. This echoes the same language that David uses in Psalm 51. David writes, it's against you, God, and you alone that I have sinned. Yes, of course, there are consequences to our sin that affects others and everyone all around us. But ultimately, our disobedience goes against God and no one else. A couple other things that we notice from these verses. Men especially, I want you to hear me. We still operate in this world under the lie that, well, boys will be boys. I mean, Joseph isn't nothing but a red-blooded male and sometimes you just can't control what's going to happen. You know, you know, sometimes I just can't control what my eyes look at. I can't help it. Stop it. That is a lie. That is deception. That is not living a sanctified life if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. That's an excuse. Every bit of it. Don't buy into the narrative. Don't you dare believe that sin has that much control over you, especially if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. And yet this lady continuously goes after Joseph time and time again. And what does Joseph do? He withstands. He tells her no. She comes back again and he tells her no again. She comes back again and what does he do? He says no again. Next thing to consider. When Jesus says in Matthew 30 that if your hand causes you to sin or your eye causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do? Jesus says you ought to chop it off or cut your eyes out. Now, obviously, he does not mean that literally. But what he is trying to say is when there is temptation that is that strong, that is that persistent, you've got to be drastic sometimes in the moves that you make to withstand that temptation. And that's exactly what we see played out in this text. Tired of being turned down, Potiphar's wife literally grabs Joseph by the jacket, and I imagine it almost like a cartoon character. You know how they start running and they disappear and the smoke's still there? That's kind of what Joseph does in this situation. She grabs him by the arm and the homeboy runs out of his jacket and gets out of the house. You want a drastic move to get out of sin? Sometimes it means you got to get up and run up and get out of there. Sometimes it means you got to do something drastic and take that phone out of your back pocket that has access to the entire world on it. you got to smash the thing and get rid of it and do something drastic and have you just a little flip phone because that's all you can manage or all you can handle at that moment. If sin is serious, the way that we deal with temptation has got to be just as serious and sometimes it's got to be just as drastic. And that's what we learn from Joseph. Ladies, in 2024, it's not just men anymore that we have this conversation with. Who's the devil coming for when it comes to sexual sin? Ladies, he's coming for you just as much as he is. Your husband or your boyfriend or your spouse or whoever it is. Be on guard. But also, be encouraged. As I quote it time and time again, and I'll continue to do so until hopefully it sinks in for some of you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Whatever temptation has come upon you, the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 10.13, look it up for yourself, don't take my word for it, the Holy Spirit gives you a way out. Then it becomes, will you take the way out? Or will you give in to the temptation? That's the question. 
Sometimes the way out is to do something drastic. Sometimes the way out might make you look silly according to the rest of the world. But you know what? Looking silly to people in the world is, look, is better than looking disobedient to Almighty God. Your earthly reputation will not stand in judgment. Your spiritual reputation will against Almighty God. Third thing. Take a deep breath. Let's get out of that. All right. Third thing, consequences of righteousness. Sometimes you know, we talk about consequences of unrighteousness or disobedience. Sometimes we don't like to talk about consequences of righteousness, but what do we see? Let's pick back up the text. Go, start with verse 16. Here we go. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to make a fool of me. And when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious. Oh boy. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in Prison. Here's your character assassination. Straight up. Potiphar's wife in total deception. No regard for the truth. She has just enough evidence and just enough trust with her husband so that the husband would believe these allegations against Joseph. But let me ask you something. In what we just read, where is the uproar from Joseph? Where's the outcry of the violation of his human rights? What about due process of law for Joseph in this situation? You know what? Why doesn't Joseph start complaining and every allegation that three she throws to him, why doesn't he call her every name under the sun as well because of what she's doing? Why do I say that and why do I bring that up? Because listen to me, I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know how much news you're watching, but that is the way of the world in 2024. Anybody that brings allegations against somebody else, the first thing that the person who's being allegated against is going to try and hurl something back at that person. Well, that person is just as immoral, is just as nasty, is just as ugly as I am, but they did it this way and not this way. And you know what? We're okay with that. As a matter of fact, we play into it. Because it makes for good news and good television. But that's not what Joseph does. We read of no uproar from Joseph. Joseph stands on his character and on his faith. And from what we read, he says nothing. Now, you've probably noticed at this point, just about every part of Scripture that we read of Joseph, we can make a connection to the life of Jesus. Not perfectly, but it points us in that direction, which is what the life of Joseph is supposed to do. That's not by accident. 
You know, we, we read of the same type of behavior from Jesus when He is falsely put on trial in Matthew 27. It states clearly that when false accusations are thrown at Jesus' way, He made no answer to even one accusation. Why? Why would Jesus... Listen, if anybody could say anything because they're all-knowing and know everything because He's God, couldn't Jesus hurl some stuff back at Him and boy, it would just be truth. He wouldn't be saying anything against it. No! He doesn't say anything first because it fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. Find that hard to believe. The verse continues and it's going to repeat again. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, He did not open His mouth. None of us are Jesus. It, Listen, if you get nothing out of today's sermon, no, you walked in here today, you ain't Jesus. Great. Okay, now, none of us are Jesus, but if we're truly able to rest in our character, if we are truly able to know that we have withstood temptation, let the rocks be thrown. They're going to. Let them throw them. Personally, I take comfort in verses like this. Proverbs 17, 28. This is a good one. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent. Discerning when he seals his lips. In a world and in a time where we feel like we've got to comment on every little thing that happens in the world. And we've got a platform, or we feel like we have a platform, where we can say anything we want to all of the time. It's a great reminder that some of the wisest people in the world are the ones that keep their mouths shut. Fourth thing, Joseph goes from one pit to another. Man, we started off this story, Joseph finds favor in an unfavorable place. And where does he wind up at the end of the story, at the end of this chapter? He goes from one pit to another. Let's finish out the chapter. Here we go. But the Lord was with Joseph, in case you forgot and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything that he did successful. 
It ain't been that long. But hopefully, and if you need to go back and read it, go back and read it. Hopefully, that sounded a whole lot like those first six verses that we read. Why? Because it was, essentially. We covered this entire chapter the way that we did because of how it begins and also because of how it ends. It is a distinct parallel between the two. It's a reminder that, one, the first part, Joseph is wrongfully put in a bad spot. First, he was put into slavery. Second part, he's put into prison. Huh, that sounds familiar. Joseph finds favor with authority. First it was Potiphar, then it is the warden of the jail. Joseph is handed authority of his own in both such situations. And guess what? In both situations, they make it clear time and time and time again, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord hadn't forgotten him. The Lord knew this was going to happen. Didn't take him by surprise. And it happened accordingly because of what God wanted to take place. As far as prison and pits are concerned, we said the last time that, that we spoke that maybe you've never physically been thrown into a pit or wrongfully placed into prison. But maybe you're in a situation that you're dealing with right now that might feel like you're in a pit or thrown into prison even trapped, not knowing how to go on, wondering where God is. It's easy for me to tell you that God is present. But let me share with you a story from the last couple of weeks. A Charlotte Blue calls me a week and a half ago, Wednesday. Let's me know that her husband, Pastor Carl, was having emergency surgery. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Miss Charlotte or Pastor Carl, they've been faithful members here for a long time. Pastor Carl has served in ministry faithfully for many, 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 many years. So I go to the hospital and I try to encourage her while he's in surgery. Listen, once he gets out, I want you to go home and get some rest. Now, if you know Miss Charlotte, you know that she smiles all the time at everything. But she gave me, when I made that statement, she gave me the most puzzled look that she's ever given me. And I thought, okay, what did I say wrong? She said, but Kyle, <laughs> she said, it's Valentine's Day. I'm going to be with my sweetheart of 67 years. Boy, she told me. <laughs> Long story short, many of you know, Pastor Carl's condition worsened. Came back to the hospital Thursday morning, just a couple hours before he passed away. I see Miss Charlotte faithfully sitting next to her sweetheart. And even though it was a hospital room, she was in her own prison dreading what she's been dreading for years up to this point. I pray with her. I attempt to comfort her, and as typically is the case, she's the one that ends up comforting me with her faith. She said, Kyle, I've been in prayer, and I'm at peace with whatever God wants to do. 
And I borrowed a line from another church member. I borrowed a line from Jerry Woolrich, who's been dealing with his own sickness. And Jerry tells me every time I talk to him, Kyle, I tell people all the time, either way, I'm healed. So I, I borrowed that line. Miss Charlotte agreed. She paused for a moment. She said, you know, Kyle, I don't know how I'm going to go on without my husband. And she told me, but God knows. Joseph, after his brother sold him instead of killing him, Joseph, after having more integrity than his brothers, living how he was supposed to live, still, still, he's thrown in prison for crimes that he didn't commit. Joseph had no idea what was going on. But he knew that God knew. So he stayed faithful to follow. Real talk. Back to that idea of character assassination. Who's after you? Who is making a point to talk about you behind your back? Who is purposefully and maliciously trying to ruin your reputation because of your faith. Again, I told you a couple weeks ago, if it's not happening, maybe it's because we're not a threat. Maybe you're here today and you've got a fair question reading this chapter. And you say, Kyle, how? How do I get to the point in my life where I can trust God with any situation around me just like Joseph. Maybe you're here today, that's your question. Great question. And I answer this question with a picture. I've got to show you a picture of a puzzle. Go ahead, guys. Now, this is a 500-piece puzzle that Ralph and Kathy Williams gave me about three weeks ago. And y'all... I about had to step down because this dead gum thing about made me lose my religion. It is the hardest dead gum puzzle that I've ever done in my life. It is the most intricate, the most finely detailed. You can have pieces that look like, man, guarantee you that's where they're supposed to go. And it was off by this much, and then you and then go looking for something else, and then you forgot where that place was, so then you start looking for something else. That's how my last few weeks have been. Anyways, now, why do I answer that question by showing you a stinking puzzle? Some of these pieces, you can't tell it in the picture, but they're even shaped like baseball players. It's incredible, okay? Some of the pieces were, were the, the Braves script across their jerseys. So one piece was a B, but then you had to fill in the parts with the pieces of a B. Then the R, the A, the V, and the E, and the S. It was incredible. It, it, again, it's the most finely detailed puzzle that I've ever done in my life. Praise God, I got it finished. But let me tell you what bothers me the most about it. Maybe this speaks more to me than it does anybody else, okay? As finely detailed, finely crafted as this puzzle was, there was a piece that was shaped like home plate. And y'all, it was in the exact center of that puzzle, right where the A kind of crosses. Boom! You've got home plate. And guess how this piece was? It was upside down. Home plate. Listen, 
Y'all know I'm a stickler about baseball things. Maybe, I should, maybe that's confession. I don't know. You've got this 500-piece puzzle. And home plate, the very center, is upside down. I tell you all of that to tell you this. You could have your entire life in line. You could have the perfect job. You could have the perfect family. You've got the right amount of money. Maybe for some reason, somehow you've got a good 401k. I don't know how. But listen to me. You could have all of those pieces finally entered in detail and right where you want them to be. All of those pieces may be right place, right time in your life. But if Jesus Christ is not the center or He's off-centered, it's wrong. If dedication and worship to Jesus Christ is not your cornerstone, your house of cards is just a away from falling down. Leaving you in ruins the first moment that tension comes your way. Joseph was centered enough on God. He knew that God had His hand on the situation. That even in an unfair, unwarranted, life-altering, false imprisonment, God was at work. Joseph recognized it. Joseph saw the opportunity and listen, was obedient to follow in God's will, not his own will for his life. So with that, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they prepare, I want to ask you, Listen, maybe you are one of those that we talked about at the, at the welcome. You are a sanctified believer in Jesus Christ. And man, you've been saved since Moses was, was uh, chipping out the Ten Commandments the second time, okay? But maybe priorities have gotten out of order. Maybe priorities have gotten to where Jesus Christ is not the sinner. We've got to make that right. Listen, we don't make that right just by sitting and bowing. action. We're called to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. So we need some action. Action may mean coming to the altar. Telling God before everybody that, look, Christ, you're not the center anymore. I've made something else my center. Maybe it means making an altar out of your seat. Whatever it is, we're called to be obedient. Maybe you're here today and Jesus Christ has never been the center of your life. Maybe you've been the very center of your life because you've not known anything different. If you've got questions on what it means to surrender to Jesus Christ, to surrender to the will of God and you've never done it before, come talk to me. Let's talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus where your life becomes about Him and no longer about me. I'll be right here on this front row, but before we sing, let's pray together. Oh God, in one chapter, we see ups and downs of Joseph. But a couple things remain consistent. First, we see that Joseph's character remains consistent regardless of circumstances. And why is that? Because of the second thing we see consistent. Because Lord, You are centered in every aspect of what is going on. Whether the good or the bad, we know God. 
that You work all things for Your good. That again, what man meant for evil, You, Lord, meant it for good. And Lord, that's the same for our lives as well. Lord, we need to understand that Your ways are greater than our ways. We need to understand that apart from You being the center of our life, our life falls apart. Lord, we come to You and recognize we need You in this moment. Father, I pray for obedience from our people. Through the Holy Spirit, convict us of sin. Change our hearts, God, so we may follow You. Regardless of how silly we may look, man, help us, Lord, in this time. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. If you would like more of Grace Baptist Cartersville, make sure you check out our GBC Young Adults podcast. Also, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our services on YouTube.